People, Deluded, I'm back again. Welcome back to another edition of the Deluded Podcast. I hope you're all doing well and safe. I hope you're all in good spirits. I hope you're all in extra good spirits because obviously the Premier League is back. Life is, life returning to normal, normalcy, normalcy being, if that's even a word, being returned back to in my case, where I live in England or wherever you live, just day to apologies for the wind, just day to day life, people going to the shop properly, going to work. We're probably a long way away from getting back to that, or if we can ever get back to exactly that. But at least we've got football, at least we've got some form of escapism with the Premier League. The Premier League is back. And in relation to Arsenal, in true Arsenal fashion, for the neutrals, we provided them some decent entertainment in relation to the Premier League. Um, Obviously, um, I, I only saw the highlights of the Sheffield Aston Villa game because obviously Arsenal was playing. I was in the mood for that, getting focused for that. But the big point being during the highlights, VAR. I mean, VAR has been a bit booky and has been a bit booky, but very rarely have you come out and said, you know, the viewers obstructed. So Sheffield United got denied a goal and, you know, two points dropped, which is not their fault. And obviously Sheffield, they're doing great stuff. You know, they should believe within these next nine, eight, probably eight for them now, eight games left. You never know, Kappa. You could sneak a Champions League spot. Probably unrealistic for Sheffield. Um, but you never know just because I feel, you know, you've got a couple of teams um, above them. But you never know. And, you know, if they miss out on what could have been a great season for them, potentially getting that because of something that was out of their hands, it's, 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 it's upsetting. Obviously, human error, all of these things happen. But the level of mistakes that happen in this with this VAR and that latest one, it would drive me mad if I was Chris Wilder, if I was Sheffield United players, if I was the fan, if I was any one connected with that back to Arsenal now obviously we lost 3-0 and in the preview on my preview on Twitter I mean not Twitter on YouTube and these things I called for let's not concede cheap goals let's make sure we're concentrated and it's a weird game because I don't feel it wasn't a thing where the whole team was rubbish the only time I say the whole team was rubbish for that third goal is six man on two Sergio Aguero and Sterling are quality players but they shouldn't be able to play a one-two Foden, he's probably not going to score an easier goal against a top six side in his life, people. Kevin De Bruyne was superb, but he's always superb nine times out of ten anyways. And he seems to turn up against Arsenal anyways. Um, and we can see the cheap goals, you know. Sterling, the, uh, obviously the big um, big part of that is obviously going to be David Luiz's mistake. I don't know wh why he's going to try and knee it or whatever. But go and look, and, and it is David Luiz's fault. It's David Luiz's fault alone. But we spoke about we spoke about runners. Go and watch if you have time, people. Go and watch the highlights again, and go and watch the run that Sterling made. He's not picked up by Bellerin. He's not picked up by Mustafi. And obviously, Louise's mistake makes the difference. Shout out to Leno because I think Leno was quality in that game as well. You know, very if if you know you're in trouble if you lose three 0 your keepers conceded three goals. But he's had a ten out of ten personal performance, man. I think I have issues over his distribution. I felt considering City, we kind of struggled to get out of our own half. You know, they set up traps and try and not want you to play, but you kind of have to play. I think Leno, someone always questioned his distribution. I think he was spot on. I feel Ed, Eddie had a, had a decent game as well. I think Kieran Tierney and Bellerin were five slash sixes out of tens, but that's good because they're working back to full fitness. And I think Tierney looked decent, potentially a centre-half option really going into Brighton. And I've spoken about this game in depth, but, you know, we deserve to lose because it was cheap mistakes. David Luiz, I don't know what he's doing for the second goal, the, the penalty... Considering we've just come out of half time, it's it's disgraceful in relation to David Luiz. He just never got going. He's too hot and cold. And at 34 years of age, I know he's had a good season, but we need to get rid now, man. I'd rather persist with young defenders who are going to make mistakes. 
and actually learn from them. Louise makes the, I'm not saying he's making these mistakes on purpose, but at some point it becomes a choice, people. He's choosing to have lapses in concentration. He's choosing to dive in. And if it's not here, it's Chelsea. Fair enough, Chelsea, Mustafi kind of engineered that mistake. Um, or it's Liverpool diving in and things. And with all due respect, I think Mustafi was good. But, you know, if it's not David Luiz this week, it's Mustafi next week. It's this man that week. It's this man that week. And I think we've got a lot of problems at Arsenal, specifically in centre-half, excluding Saliba because he's not here. There's not really one clear candidate as to who is going to be a centre-half at this club, which probably shows you collectively how we look at defending as a club. Um, obviously, we've got defensive prospects. I feel if you had to throw somebody in, I'm probably on, on based on under-23s form, I'd throw in Harry Clark, but I don't know if he's been training with the first team. So it's probably Daniel Ballard or Zach Medley. Um, am I convinced with any of them really? And truly, it's a tough ask to ask any of them to cut their teeth. But this probably shows you how the, the culture at this team hasn't respected defending. When you speak about Arsenal's young players, no disrespect to them. It's always the creative mids and the wingers. You never see Arsenal scream about a centre-half. You know, we haven't seen a centre-half or a decent prospect come out of this academy since Tony Adams. I know we've had full-backs and I'm specifically talking about centre-halves, people. Ironically, we've got some um, to be scholars next year. Zach, um, not Zach, um, Zayn Mon-Louise, I think he's decent, but he's 16, so let's not talk about that. He's, it's neither the time or place. It's upsetting. Midfield. Car Joe Willock is out of his depth in that 10 role. I think um, slash box to box, he was doing both. gwendolsey has got the energy and I think he's done all right, but he's not currently there. I think midfield, we've got nothing in, in the way of midfield in terms of offensively. We've got nothing in terms of dynamism and they're not really this most switched on defensively. You know, we've got, looking at them in, isolate, in isolation, sorry, the midfielders aren't bad. We've got decent midfielders, but collectively you can't see what they offer. There's no real goal scorers here. There's no real assist man here. There's not really men that are going to make, you know, 100 tackles in a game and break down things. You know, there's not really anything. We don't offer enough offensively or defensively. So you can see the disconnect. The defence is a lost cause. We need to fix that. But, you know, how the midfield reacts can get away with protecting our defence. Look at Liverpool. Do you think that defence could shine if Wijnaldum, Henderson, Fabinho and whoever's in midfield ain't pulling their weight? Or the strikers pressing from the front? There's a disconnect, really and truly. It's no coincidence why, obviously, you do see midfielders at Arsenal involved in goals. But typically, it's a, you know, it might be a Saka, Saka burst forward and link up with Aubameyang or mainly the front three doing it. There's a massive disconnect within this team. And I think for Raul Sanye, he's got to look at himself because, you know, David Luiz, the stats are there. You know, he's managed to get worse statistically um, since he's left Chelsea and come to Arsenal. A lot of that is because David Luiz is a fire hazard, but a lot of that is how the structure of this club. Chelsea have a better defensive structure than us or have had. So he's going to look a tiny bit better or not make glaringly obvious areas like he's doing here. And that's many players really in true. It's like Czech. Czech was a fire hazard. In, Czech was decent, but he had some buky questionable moments. But his stats were screwed because of how we look at defending. We shouldn't be... Raul Sanya's got to look at himself because, you know, you spent an outlay reportedly of £24 million when factoring agent fees, contracts and all these things for David Luiz. And what have you got? Sometimes when you make cheap options, you pay twice, three times over, which has been the case. You need to go out there and get Arteta a decent centre-half. I would love a £40, £50 million pound calibre centre-half. But if scouts can do their due diligence and bring in a suitable option or two... 
cool. The same goes for midfield. There's a lot of work to be done. I have faith in Arteta, but how much can my faith stretch if he is not supported in the right way, people? It's scary. I mean, look at David Luiz. Um, he's had a red, um, he had a red card once every 160 games for Chelsea, and it's one every 13 with Arsenal. Um, he gave away a penalty once every 53 games with Chelsea. It's now 6.5 games for Arsenal. That talks about how Kalama defensive structure is, and also highlights why he shouldn't sign certain players because, you know. And especially if we have to watch our pennies, our signings haven't been too well, too decent. We've had some good signings, I'll give credit, but you know, you've spunked a lot on David Luiz, which has now come to show you. Cedric Suarez, he's never been fit and now we've heard that he had a collision or something with, with Bakayo Saka and he's got a leg break. What was the point? You know, what was the point? Marie's probably out for the rest of the season now, sadly. Um, I'm not criticising it, but you get it. How many times has Marie played 90 minutes? Cedric Suarez hasn't. Even Dennis Suarez last January collectively how many the outlay collectively on all these players to the minutes played it doesn't add up and if we have to watch our pennies that bit stronger i can't it doesn't make sense does it does it arsenal fans or football fans in general surely not it doesn't make no sense man we lost to city our, our season should start now or what's left of the season should start now against brighton let's not underestimate brighton at all i think we're ninth they're like 12th or 15th but they beat us at the emirates um courtesy of Mopé scoring in the last 10 minutes. They've got a significant height advantage on us as well, so we're going to need to take advantage of that. Our away form under Arteta, what we've, he's only lost once away from home, but let's move away from that stat. You lot know Arsenal struggle away from home. Um, and we sh even even more so top six teams, but we struggle away from home. And you know we haven't got time to feel sorry for ourselves. We got smacked up against against um, City at the Etihad where they weren't in their best of form. You know we've got to play Leicester away from home. I'm sure Wolves away from home. Brighton, like I said, this Saturday, folks. Um, you know there's a probably a couple of games I'm missing out. You've still got to play top six rivals or fellow top six rivals in Liverpool and Spurs. Um, you know Watford are fighting relegation or are expected to be in and around that. And I think we've got them and Norwich. You have to be careful of these teams so it's put up or shut up now anyone that doesn't want to be here get out of this club now say you don't want to play and if you want to play but you don't want to be here make sure you're putting in them performances so you can go and f off and get a move people it's 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 it's, it's ridiculous people it is ridiculous but I've harped on a lot about about the City game. Um, it's been and gone. We knew we'd lose, but for me, it's them. It's not even the fact that we lost because I accepted we'll lose three 0 City don't have to be at their best to beat us by that. But it's the cheap mistakes for one. It's the midfield runners. It's you know someone like David Luiz should be offended in a positive sense that you didn't start. You and you're an experienced player behaving like an under 17, under 18s player who's just been thrown in at the limelight, like he's scared of fans and that. I can't understand what David Luiz's thought process is. So it's cheap mistakes costing the team. And for me, I wanted it to be a thing. If City are going to beat us 3-0, they're going to beat us because there's obvious golfing class between the two sides. Yeah, I wanted it to be a thing where we say, you know what? We lost to the better team. We got smacked up. I, I would love, I, I wouldn't, obviously I'd love to win or get a point. But, you know, a 2-1, a 1-0, that would have been encouraging. Because, you know what it is? You could say, yeah, we made City work for it. They've got quality players. You know, there's things we could have done better. It is what it is in that regards. But it was not one of them games, people. Obviously, a big talking point was in relation to why David Luiz is messed up, is, is messed up and why he was left out. And it appears in the back burner. That, you know, for weeks his focus potentially hasn't been there, maybe in relation to his contracts. Obviously, I don't want to, I'm purposely not trying to spend too long speaking about it, but Mesut Ozil was left out for tactical reasons. There's probably something more to that, or maybe there's legit truth in it. I think there's, I think there's, 
I don't know really because I think I don't think the excuses Arteta used washed because tactical reasons you can't not you know there's not many creative midfielders in our team really at least have him on the bench especially when you're allowed more man on the bench and more subs so it might be a lack of application in training there might be injuries or there might be fitness because Arteta kind of did allude to you know Ozil might not be fully fit and when he's fully fit he'd be involved but I'd have to argue how much is Ozil's fitness levels off the likes of Lacazette or you know Reese Nelson and all of these players that are about and came off the bench people obviously Maitland now has got about 20 odd minutes in midfield as well which is you know something he's probably encouraged by um so yeah man there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of things there's a there's a there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of things in that regards to speak about or think about. The the most annoying things for me is that we've lost Granite Xhaka. I like Xhaka. I don't think he's perfect. I think he's a squad player. I don't think he should be a regular in the team. But I do see what he offers. I do think we would have struggled against City even if Xhaka was on the field. But I can see what happens when Xhaka is out. And I know it's easy to always point to the man that's not involved in true football fan fashion. But I can see why. And to be fair, we need an upgrade on Xhaka and, and stuff like that. But we do have many problems in midfield. Um, but Xhaka is now injured. Apparently, he's only going to miss a few games. You know, we've only got a few games left. And apparently, it's an ankle injury. So I'm not too sure. Xhaka is quite strong and would want to play on. So he's only not going to play if it's something proper harmful. So that scares me. Obviously, pa pa Pablo Marie hasn't had much opportunities at Arsenal. Got his opportunity against City. Looked, looks like he'll have he'll struggle to deal with pace if he stays here permanently. But he's now out for the rest of the season. And I'm pretty sure he's trying to earn a full-time deal. Um, and that one there might still be done. But that one there is probably thrown in air, to be honest with you people. Um, I do... I don't think it... Do you know what? On current form, there's not one centre-half, especially the older ones, there's the Mustafis, the Socrates, um, the, the Louises, and uh, even Marie. I, I think if they all win, it's not, I'm not going to cry, but I do think you'd leave the squad light. I do think you have to keep a one of them at least to run out their deals, whether that's Mustafi, which I don't think it should be because you can get a little bob for him. Socrates, I'm not too sure. Socrates said he wants to go play football. So we'll see, man. The most annoying thing is we're down to our bare bones. What we do in, in relation to centre-half against Brighton is scary, people, because, you know, Holding's there, but Holding ain't played till Janu since January. You've got to wait. When your time comes, you've got to take it, sort of thing. Um, But beyond that, you're pressed for options, people. You've got Medley, Ballard, Clark, these young centre-halves. You could do what Pep probably would do and put Torreira centre-half, even though he lacks height. Um. You know, obviously for me, if it's not holding, I'm leaning towards Kieran Tierney. He's played there before for Scotland. Um, he's played in the back three as well. And he actually did it when we went down to 10 men. I'd probably be implored to put him centre-half and move um, Saka over. Or even Kalajinac, puts Kalajinac at left-back, let Saka do his left-wing thing. There's there's many things we could do, man. Or maybe Arteta might have to register himself and play himself at centre-half. And at, at least he'll be a decent ball player. Um, but... We'll have to see, man. We'll have to see. In relation to the game against Brighton, though, as you lot know, you know, it's a difficult game for us. Like I said, we're ninth versus 15th in Brighton. Um, I don't think Brighton have, were in the best of form prior to the COVID-19 locking everything off. Not that it's relevant. In their last five games, they had four draws and one defeat, losing against Palace. They had a 3-3 draw against... Um, against um West Ham 1-1 against Watford a 1-1 against Sheffield 0-0 against Wolves so what I take from that game is three of these five games I've spoken about they've managed to find the back of the net and we know they've got 
players that can produce stuff on their day, man. They've got Propar, they've got Moy, you know, they've got Mupe, sorry, who's caused us issues. They've got, what's that Irish lad in on the wings? I can't remember his name. Is it Connolly? I could be wrong. They've got a couple decent wingers that can present us with some issues. Their fullbacks like to get forward. And I'm never confident going to Brighton away from home because I've seen a couple of negative results there in recent years. Um, so we'll have to see. Form goes out of the window and I know a lot of people only think of or can only think of the, the City game because that's the latest one. But in our last five games, we've actually only got one defeat, three wins and four and, and one draw in the last five people. Beat West Ham 1-0 before the break. Obviously, got demolished against City. 1-3-2 against Everton. And obviously, the Newcastle 4-0. Um, so, yeah, man, on that hand, it's not that bad, but we need to get back to winning ways. I know Arteta is still speaking about getting top four, even though I don't think it can happen at best. At least, you know, he can implement his tactics, give the young players some confidence and some experience going into next season, people, really and truly. That's that's all we can hope, hope for, really, literally. Um, moving away from that, though, and actually, if you don't know, I'm doing this on a Friday, Norwich versus Southampton which is a big sort of clash. Norwich are at the, at the, at the foot of the Premier League table, rock bottom, um, you know, on 25 points. They need to start... Uh, wait, let me make sure I'm making sense. On 25 points, 21 points, apologies, people. Um, five behind Aston Villa. Um, they, need to, they need to win games. I actually think the table is going to stay like this with, you know, Norwich, Villa and... and form of going down but you never know Watford West Ham Brighton are still in this like I said as well a bit earlier you know we've still got to play I said it again about Watford and Norwich and I completely disregarded apologies disregarded Brighton Brighton are fighting relegation they're on they're on 29 points I'm sure everybody's trying to get to that illustrious 40 to stay safe and this is the sort of time now where you see an uptake in performance you see some bookie stuff start happening so we've got to take them seriously they've got experienced players like Glenn Murray as well that can present issues for us people um, so yeah man we need to take them seriously but Norwich versus Southampton that is a relegation clash people Not um, Southampton have been in good form under Hassan Hortu as well since he's you know revived them they're on 34 points they win and results go their way um, you know they, they might be able to move ahead of Everton in 12th or Newcastle in 13th either way I'm sure they want to get to the 40 point barrier which is deemed safe um, so it's going to be, you know, it's almost a double pointer. If Norwich win that, you know, they take themselves up to 24 points, still in the relegation zone, um, you know, but they need to they need to win. Every game for Norwich is a cup final and is a top six decider. I mean, is is, is a relegation decider. They might as well treat it like it's a relegation playoff. Like if they lose, they're, con they're condemned to the championship. They need to show that mentality. When you're backed up against when you're backed up against a wall, you have two choices. You either come back out fighting or you curl into a ball. So we'll have to see what happens in that regards, people. Um in relation to Norwich versus Southampton. Hopefully, um in relation to Brighton as well, people, I have to say hopefully the fact that we've played one more game and, sh and shaken off some cobwebs might help us but by that same logic you could say Watford having that extra time to Brighton sorry having that extra time to prepare might make them fresher so we'll have to see the big ones obviously Jose Mourinho against against his old team in Man United the Jose Mourinho derby I'm starting to call anytime he plays his former teams um, Spurs against Manchester United obviously um, buoyed by the fact that a lot of Spurs players have now returned to full fitness the, the, the main point being Harry Kane you know, I don't know. I know Spurs played Norwich in a friendly. I don't know if they played any other friendlies. I don't know Harry Kane's fitness um, program he's been on. But you'd imagine he's a bit rusty like everybody else. But he's st 
still a lethal gunman in front of goal and someone to be feared and definitely boosts their chances. Um, for Manchester United, you know, obviously they're stuck, they're targeting top four. It's a it's a game where if you're Chelsea, even though Arsenal aren't involved in this either, um, or anybody else, you're hoping both draw. But if United win, what they're on forty five points, a win takes them level with with Chelsea. Obviously, Chelsea would have a game in hand at this point, but all United can do is win. The, it's as simple as that. Win the games in front of them, and they have a they have a they have a choice, a close call sort of thing. For Spurs, they're they're a point behind Arsenal. I'm sure they don't want to. After many years finishing ahead of Arsenal, they don't want that to happen. And to be honest, Arsenal in eighth or ninth speaks of volumes. For Spurs, obviously, if results go their way, um, they can potentially move ahead of um, potentially Wolves and I think Sheffield United, depending on goal difference and all of these sort of things. And actually draw, you know, get quite... I think they'll at that point, they'd be around two points or so. Two, no, my mass is poor. They'd be a point off United. Um, so, yeah, and I'm not, I'm not sure when Spurs play again, if they... they probably won't play on the Sunday that's too much to ask they probably play on a Monday or something I don't know but um, yeah man it will pull them closer to parity and you know the last nine games or so for everybody it's crucial now people is what it is eight or nine games so we'll have to see man if you was to make me pick a pick a winner I'm not too sure I'm clean to see that car I'm seeing Spurs players back obviously I don't know if Pogba will start but I'm keen to see as a fan of, of, of football Pogba you know uh, Marcus Rashford Pogba Bruno Fernandes and Pogba, especially in the midfield. I'm keen to see what happens, but reports are saying Pogba might not start. I don't know if that's agent talk or people being coy or, you know, people trying to um, send out false fe false feelers and sort of things because it is that sort of time. Um, um, but, yeah, we'll have, to, we'll have to see what happens in that regards, people. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, so we'll see what happens. Um, yeah, hopefully it's a draw. I actually think... I, I hope it's I think it's gonna be a draw, but I feel, it sounds dumb. I actually I actually feel you know even it sounds it, it's either draw or lose or win, but I I think there's plenty of reason for United to believe they can nick something. I think there's plenty of reason for Spurs to nick something. So we'll have to see, man. Um, tomorrow is obviously the Saturday we've spoken about Brighton, West Ham against Wolves. West Ham are firmly in a relegation battle. Wolves like like Sheffield and a couple of these teams. You know, they, they're nailed on to have a top 10 finish, but you never know. Try a challenge for these Champions League spots in the last nine games because people are forgetting Wolves started off very slowly in the season and they've come back. West Ham has been a bit of a sad season, to put it nicely. And I think that, that right back in Garta, I can never say his name, um, isn't playing anymore. Similar to Bournemouth's Ryan Fraser, who Eddie Howe came out and said he's not going to play any part of the season. Um, but Wolves against West Ham is an is an iffy one. You know, Wolves are on traveling are traveling. To a degree, form is out of the window. But I'm gonna go with a Wolves two 0 victory. Watford against Leicester. You know, Watford are fighting relegation. Leicester are fighting to stay in the Champions League spot. I'll back Leicester to win that two one. But something tells me Watford might have something to say in that game. People really and truly shout out to Leicester because you know it's been a good season for them as well. Um, Bournemouth against Palace. Bournemouth, like I said, they need to win. Ryan Fraser is going to play no part. Jordan Ibe is going to play no part. Um, I think Davy Brooks is back fit. I'm not too sure his level of fitness. Obviously, you know, anyone that's got Zaha in their team has a chance. But you never know, man. Playing at home, Bournemouth fans get behind them. This is the season. This is the time of the season where they're going to need to put up or shut because. You know, I'm sure some of these players, Josh King and things like that, they're not too fast because they know they're playing Premier League football, but they want to stay in the Prem. 
You know, some people want to put themselves in the shop window. Some people know they're not playing in the Prem if they don't stay with Bournemouth. Some people know they're fighting for their jobs. People away from football with these sort of relegation section teams right now are fighting for their futures. Because you could imagine with Bournemouth going down, you know, they're going to have to make cuts across the board. Players are going to leave because of, you know, you can't be in the Championship on Premier League wages. It's not sustainable. Similar to Arsenal having a Champions League wage bill in the Europa League. And look at the problems we're in as a football club financially as well. So, yeah, people are fighting and I'm keen to see what happens. Um, I think Bournemouth will win 2-1, but I'm actually going to back Palace to win 1-0. Newcastle against Sheffield United. Sheffield United challenged to new tra- travel, sorry, to Newcastle. Um, Newcastle have had a good season. That you know, like I said, I think they're where are they in the league? They are their thirteenth. Sheffield United are sixth. You know they could challenge for a Champions League spot, and Sheffield United should be annoyed because they should have three point an extra three points on on their board going into Sunday's clash, people. But it is well, it is simple as that. They win. It strengthens their case of potentially bringing Champions League football to Sheffield, which should be the target now. The, the target at the start was probably to stay in the league, then it became a top 10 finish. Now they say, why not? Why can't you get a top four finish? You know, you and Wolves are assured to probably play Europa League football. I hope Arsenal don't have to play that. But yeah, um, why not target the Champions League? Villa against Chelsea, you know, Villa are fighting relegation, you know, Chelsea have made some good signings, you know, Hakim Ziyech is, a, is arriving, they've completed and announced the signing of Werner, I saw with my own eyes Kai Hervites, um liked a tweet saying, um, announce Hervites getting to Chelsea, who he's also been linked with and be a good signing, he's been linked with Madrid as well, hopefully that happens, but you can't look past Chelsea for this man, it would be written in the script that Tammy Abraham, knowing that a new striker is being... Tammy's still going to be part of it, but unless they play two strikers, one's going to have to hold the bench. Tammy's got to now show that, yo, you know, don't forget what I'm on, Lampard. You know, I might not be Werner's standard, but I can still do something. You know, why don't you play 4-4-2? It would be the typical football fashion for Tammy Abraham to bag in that game, and it would be typical fashion um, for him to score against a team he spent a time on loan at Aston Villa, which I'm sure he's got happy memories. Um... Everton against Liverpool, you know, Richarlison's been talking a lot about about Van Dijk and I hope they don't the comments don't come back to hurt him, but it's a Merseyside derby, not really much to play for. Um I'm not too sure, but I swear it was either if if we beat City or City didn't beat us, Liverpool could win the trophy um and lift the trophy and formally announce Champions League winners um at at Goodison Park. I'm not too sure if if that's the case if they win and that they, you know, they, they, they can start the celebrations. Well, not that they can't start them already, but I'm not too sure. But what can we say? Liverpool's the easiest team to preview. I mean, they're running away with the league at this point in time. 22 points clear at the top of the table, scoring goals, playing well. You know, the champ- the Premier League is done. They can firmly focus on next season and rebuilding, which, you know, you're hearing that Liverpool ain't really got peas and stuff. I'd be quite upset if I was Klopp because you do probably, at, they're at that stage you now, that team's been together for a couple of years, last three years, back-to-back Champions League titles. You know, obviously winning the Premier League is probably time to f- not change the squad but freshen things up bring in a couple of options on the bench bring in a you know I don't know for example they were linked with Werner but a number 9 so that Richard obviously Firmino can go behind Salah and Mane they can chop and change not everybody needs to play all the time but you know bring in a man where you know if I keep saying Richarlison Firmino Salah and Mane if they feel any sort of complacency they're saying oh crap if I don't play well 
I'm, you know, I'm, I'm coming off. You know, I'm, I'm not playing. If they bring in a striker that can do that, or you know, they've been linked with Coutinho again and previously with Fakir, a creative man that makes that midfield free thing. Oh, you know what? If I don't perform, you know, Klopp might, you know, Henderson might think to himself, Klopp might take me out or Richarlison or Fernandinho or whatever. I think they need to freshen things up because you typically see, I still think Liverpool will be bad enough the Prem next year, but you typically see teams like this when they've been together for a while and they don't really freshen up the thing. Next season's a bit of a slugfest. It's a bit of a challenge. You get it? Because, you know, it is going to be a bit harder for Liverpool next year. But they probably will announce some signings and get people um, moved on. But we'll have to see what happens in that regards, people. That's it in relation to the, the Sunday's game. On the Monday, well, there's football every day, people. Um, we'll probably be there with a podcast again. But on the Monday, it's City against Burnley. You know, City just have to keep winning games. Champions League is probably the focus. Leicester City against Brighton. Um, London Derby and Spurs and West Ham. The Wednesday sees Norwich play Everton. Wolves versus Bournemouth. Newcastle versus Villa. United versus... Um, Three games kicking off at the same time. United versus Sheffield. Sheffield gave them a game at Bramall, but Old Trafford will be a difficult one. Liverpool against Palace at Anfield. On the Thursday, obviously, we travel to St Mary's, which is scaring me. You've got Burnley and Watford, and you've got another top six clash in Chelsea and Man City. And the games beyond that will review when the time comes, people. So it's a bit of a dodgy one. It's a dodgy one. Um, in relation to Bournemouth, I didn't. I don't know if I mentioned it already, but Ryan Fraser's future. Eddie Howe said Fraser has now played his last game for the football club. He won't be involved with us for the last nine games. I only want people who are focused on the relegation battle we have ahead, and I'm looking forward to doing that with my squad. Now, I think obviously a lot of that is Fraser won't renew his deal to to cover the extension. And you know what, Fraser wants to move. He wants to move. But I'd say this is surely in Fraser's best interest to play. Like. If he's got a move sorted out already, then cool. And his head's dropped, then cool. Because you could imagine a manager might, with all reason, question his focus and his desire and his hunger. Because within reason, you'd imagine he can get a move. Maybe not to the Spurs, Chelsea and Arsenal and actually United teams he's been linked with necessarily. But he could, he will be playing Premier League football. But surely it's in his best interest to play, you know. I don't think he necessarily owes anything to Bournemouth. But, you know, you could say... He, Give the fans something who have supported you and, and praised you and stuff. Don't turn your back on them. And for me, obviously, if you get a seat, if you play and get an injury and you're out, people might not want you. But at the same time, I'm looking at it as this: the only if you play, you're putting yourselves in the you're putting yourself in the shop window, putting in good performances. You know, Arsenal, all these teams that have been linked with you, they might say, ah, we didn't want him before, but let's bring him in. Or other teams might bring you in. And also, money's a thing as well. You know, being 26 or so, being a free agent, there's not many. You'd imagine there's one to two big deals left. This might pip a team to, you know, give you a couple more, Bob. Um, only he knows what's going on. Only Eddie Howe knows. But I can't fault Eddie Howe from a manager's point of view for not wanting to involve players. Um, Off topic as well, people. I don't know if you lot saw, um, been watching La Liga, but Messi absolutely balled out against Leganes and I can't wait to the game against Seville later. Um, you know, Aston, Aston Villa, Valencia versus Madrid was quite a game. Benzema, what a volley he scored. Um, lovely goal and Zidane's reaction was priceless. Um, so, yeah, and obviously I watched the, what's the thing called? I can't remember, the Italian Cup final where Napoli won. Um, I watched AC Milan versus Juventus as well when they went out of that cup. So I've been doing what I can for Europe, European football. Pardon me. Moving away from that, though, people, and I haven't got much more to speak about, but in relation to the FFP and Wenger's probably somewhere shouting in the sky and probably, and um, rightly so, apparently FFP laws have been relaxed now. Obviously, as an Arsenal fan, 
I don't think Stan Kroen... We, we did hear a lot, yeah. We do think, we know Arsenal have got money, but one legitimate reason we heard is because of the failings we've been doing, there isn't... Because of FFP, there's not too much we can do in terms of wage um, wage budgets and wage restrictions and increasing the wage budget and stuff. And obviously signings. If FFP laws are relaxed, then it comes down to the desire of everybody now because, you know... I don't know for Chelsea's finances because I did see some conflicting reports, but you could imagine Roman's going to use this as an example, as he has been doing, as a chance to pattern up the squad. City are, are being chased, by, well, have failed to chase Liverpool now. They're out of it by 20-odd points, yeah? City are going to invest. Liverpool, we hear they've got no money, but you'd Im- from a logical point of view, you'd hope they invest. Um, you know, Spurs might invest as well. I know they're in problems. So Arsenal are in danger if we don't invest significantly or if we're not going to invest significantly, invest smartly. Obviously, for City as well, I know they're going with the whole Champions League ban, not ban stuff. This could also help them as well. Um, but for what it's worth, people, apparently owners of top clubs will temporarily be permitted by UEFA's financial fair play rules to put more money into their clubs to, co- to cover increased losses caused by football shutdown due to the COVID-19 pandemic. UEFA announced a series of emergency measures to acknowledge that clubs that clubs competing in the Champions League and Europa League must comply with FFP break limits, cannot do so this season because of drastic losses caused by the shutdown. The principles accept that the clubs can make losses greater than the permitted €30 million Euros over a rolling three-year period and that owners can cover these losses. UEFA stressed, however, that it's still committed, committed to encouraging good financial management by clubs and the measures were aimed only at neutralising neutralizing the adverse effects of the pandemic, lost ticket income while matches are played behind closed doors and the potential major loss of some TV commercial and sponsorship income. These emergency measures announced um, are to reflect a lost revenue and in 2020-21, they're to be assessed as a single period by FFP. Um, also, I'm pretty sure you've all, you've all seen, I don't have it to hand, um, but the Champions, UEFA obviously announced when the Champions League will get back going again um, as well, when it, will, when it will get back going. And I think past a certain round, there's going to be no second legs, people, um, which is quite dodgy. And they've also announced changes to the Europa League. Um, in fact, I've got it here. Apparently, this season's Champions League and Europa League competitions will be completed in August with the final eight tournaments in Lisbon, Portugal and in cities across Germany. So it's almost like a mini mini club Euros. Um, apparently, the Women's Champions League will also be a knockout tournament in northern Spain between the 21st to the 30th of August. But back to, you know, the men's game, UEFA also confirmed that all original cities will be will stage matches in the delayed Euro 2020 finals. So maybe this is a little tester as to how things will run. Um, The competition will now start on the 11th of June 2021. The outstanding playoff matches will be staged during the international window starting on the 8th of October and 12th of November respectively. So I think that's the Euros. The club competitions will be played behind closed doors as it stands. Um, And apparently the the president of UEFA, Alexander Sirivin, I can't say his name, has said a month ago, I couldn't even answer if we could play the competition. Now we will play, hopefully. We haven't decided about no spectators or spectators yet. We'll assess the situation at the beginning of July, which is next week. Then we'll see what the situation will be. It would be incompetent for us to decide in advance about a situation that is so unsure at the moment. And the schedule currently is such people. On the 7th of August, the last 16 legs will be played. The 7th and 8th of August. On the 12th and 13th, 
well, the 12th to the 15th of August will be the quarterfinals. The 18th and 19th will be the semis. Um, before a couple of days later, the final will be on the 23rd of August. Um, the Champions League will resume with the second leg of the remaining six last 16 games played on the 8th, 7th and 8th of August. Man City have yet to play their home leg against Man against Real Madrid. Chelsea are away at Bayern Munich. Juventus are home to Lyon. Napoli are at Barcelona. UEFA said it has to it has yet to decide whether to host the matches at home grounds or neutral grounds. The subsequent knockout rounds will be single leg affairs and will be hosted in Lisbon between the 12th to the 23rd. The finals have been scheduled for the 21st of August in the Portuguese capital. Um, the Europa so yeah man that 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 the major talking point for me is obviously it's coming back but there's no second leg so it's you've got to do your thing and if I'm the French clubs, PSG and, and Lyon, you're kind of crippled because, you know, their league campaign is done. Um, and you could imagine, you know, when Germany got going, you saw the fitness levels of both teams. The Premier League clearly not fit. So where's Lyon and, and PSG? There's only so many friendlies you can you can host. Um, you know, they're clearly going to be at a disadvantage. And, you know, that's, it's, to be honest, it's nothing to do with UEFA because they didn't affect Liga's decision. Um, and Liga could obviously reverse it but it's probably too late in that so they're probably at a disadvantage people in relation to the Europa League it will resume on the 10th of August and the remaining last 16 games will be played on the 5th and 6th of August people um um Inter Milan and Gretafe and Sevilla versus Roma whose first leg was also postponed will be played as a single leg at a venue to be confirmed and surely this means away goals don't count then people surely this means the away goal if it's a single game surely the away goal thing is dead because you know if I if I'm away from home and you score you know bearing in mind there's no second leg and we both score and I go I go through on away goals what's that if there's going to be no second legs then there should be no away goals it goes to extra time penalties and whatever people we'll have to see what happens and you know that's a difficult one. Um, UEFA has also advised that the 2020 summer transfer window should close no later than the 5th of October, people. Um, UEFA has set October the 6th as the deadline for player registrations for Europe, European competition next season. So is therefore recommending the window close the previous day. Their plans have now received the backing of of European League members who represent more than 900 clubs in 32 professional leagues, including the top six um, European leagues. The leagues underline the recommendation given by UEFA to all member associations to adopt a harmonised end date to the upcoming summer window with this date set as the 5th of October 2020. FIFA set out the perimeters for the summer transfer window last week, allowing them to be reopened in countries before the restarted domestic season is finished. But the FA have been discussing a window from August to October. So it's all interesting news, people. Away from that, though, my final one is obviously we know there's a problem with diversity. And I must admit, I've always been aware of this because obviously of my skin colour and stuff. But the diversity chat has made me think about things a bit weird because it's like if I look at Arsenal, listen, shout out to everybody at Arsenal. When I'm seeing them take the knees and things, it's great. But when I look at the boardroom, I don't see black faces. When I look at, you know advisors and things positions of real power not even management there's no black faces i look on the coaching staff of of our tetas there's no black faces i look at many coaching staff there is no black faces there are they are there and obviously in the boardroom i'd love i would love to see you know raul sanye or, or uh, the black equivalent of these sort of man in this position because it like i was i started i'm very late to these things but i just started watching cities all or never the netflix thing and you know it's a bit like sunderland's where you're sitting in the room and you're talking about transfer targets and it's like 
I don't see any black faces or any ethnic faces. And it's like, you know, the only black faces I saw was in it was in speaking about transfer targets. And I think it's, it's sad, man, for people with ambition to do something like that. Um, Ryan Bertrand wants to be a, a, head, a um, head of football slash technical director, people. And I think that's great. If I was a black footballer, honest to God, I would want to be a manager or I'd want to be... Um, a director, but I'll probably go down the punditry road purely because you probably have more success being a pundit. And don't get it twisted, some black players are copping out and maybe don't want to, but you know, Woody and Wright, Rio Ferdinand, not their playing days, would they be as household names if they didn't post playing days, post paying players now? Would they be as household names in British te television if they were managers and things? No, they wouldn't. Their own, that's only afforded to people like Lampard, no disrespect, but this is the unconscious biases because Lampard's a, a doing great, been a great coach and stuff. But how did his opportunities come? What You know, people say you, you have to start from the bottom and all of these things. What, 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 without probably coaching them once or twice a week, what 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 was he doing? He weren't coaching no League Two side. He weren't coaching no under-18s at no one. He was being a pundit at Sky Sports. He ended up at Derby. And now he's at Chelsea. And you have to wonder why is that in play? Because you couldn't see a black manager do that or a black person doing that. But in relation to Ryan Bertrand, he said um, he wants to obviously become a sort of director and things. And I, I think considering he's got numerous business successful business ventures you know his mum was a trader so i imagine growing up he learned a thing or two about business and stocks and stuff it makes sense not everybody has to be a coach he has said it's an ambition of mine and the race thing hasn't played on my mind i haven't thought of it like that but if there has been black people that have tried to get into a hierarchy of sports and felt resistant i think it is important that it is spoken of and how and that's how you can create the gateway to producing more black executives within the game and i think last podcast i spoke about this and i, I had a little info info um whatever it's called infograft or whatever where it highlighted within football you know black faces and governing bodies and there's none really and truly um, he said, and I like how he's not letting, you know, he's going to try and reach his goals. He's not going to let the colour of his skin define him. But he has said, we need to concentrate on making sure the openings are there. No one wants to feel anything for free. But at the same time, we need to make sure the playing field is level. And there isn't a subconscious bias or element of racism that's preferring people when other people are more than capable of a job. And that's it, people. There's unconscious bias. There's conscious bias and just pure racism. And there's also nepticism, you know, calling your uncle, your your friends, your son to get involved. Look at Eddie Howe, Eddie Howe's brother, Eddie Howe's son or nephew or something is on their coaching staff. Do you get it? Um, we can't do something like that because we're not in them positions. Do you get it? There's a lot of issues. Or Pochettino's son on the coaching staff or, or Ancelotti's. I would, if I had a son, I'd do the same. But these are the problems we're going against because many working class black boys don't know anybody. Not, and I'm only speaking for black boys right now. Every Big up everyone in the BAME thing, even though I don't like the term BAME. But I'm only speaking on my reality. Young black boys don't know a head of director to get that little bring in and stuff because that's how a lot of these men get the coaching stuff. I was watching, I was like I said, I was even the kit men. What, what uh, do you know? I would love to be that young guy that you know how you typically hear people about, oh, my man's been at a club for 30 plus years, he came as a kit man. He's this, I would love to do that. Arsenal, I'd be the kit man, I'd be the scout, I'd be the coach, I'd be technical analysis, I'd do like the, the, the media thing, I'd do it all, but. We don't get them bringings. Now, there was a lad, um, there's a scene where a company is there with some guy, um, I think he's a kit man, I forgot his name, apologies, but they go into like the, the cold room recovery thing and he's speaking about his life. He's like, I've been here since I left school. I knew someone that worked here. We don't know no one. This is why we're in issues like this. And football does, beyond playing staff level, football doesn't reflect Britain. Like, it does not reflect it. It, it In fact, it does. It reflects the problems that are here. But it is what it is. Um... And I can't disagree with anything Ryan Bertrand has said. He has said, 
it mixes in relation to this he said it mixes a bit of business with my sport and they're both my passions having the responsibility to say yes i chose these players i chose them to perform well and working with a manager and business owner to get the right consistency and football model that's a success on the field i would take a lot of pride in um so yeah man and apparently he also spoke about he's been reading and redefining his own learning and strategy it's nice to see someone you know think of stuff like that people but there isn't much more for us to speak about man we've spoken about the premier league we've spoken about ryan bertrand we've spoken about uefa i hope for these last 40 minutes or so i've given you some quality but for now people it's always a pleasure deluded i'm out take care make sure you follow me on all my socials links are in the description make sure you hit up my, my youtube account because obviously you know i've done great reviews of the arsenal's games um, and obviously there's many different bits of content and i'll be back again on youtube in relation to arsenal versus brighton tomorrow but for now it's always a pleasure deluded i'm out